Hey, hey, Amber here. All right, so listen, if you are a woman over 40 who is sick and tired of dieting your way through life and you're craving a total mind and body transformation, I'd love for you to join me for an amazing two-day free event where I'm gonna help you start to heal from the inside out and discover true food freedom so that you can lose the weight and create a lifestyle that is effortless and sustainable. I am so excited for this live two-day event because each day of this event is jam-packed with real life-changing strategies you can use right now to finally get off the diet wagon for good. So head to the link in the show notes for all the details and the link to join. I can't wait to see you there. So I want to share with you what I've been incorporating more of into my life these days, and that's matcha. This powerful superfood helps with anti-aging, hormone balance, improves focus and concentration, it enhances metabolism, reduces stress and anxiety, and it improves immune function. But the truth is, is not all matchas are the same, which is why I'm obsessed with Symbiotica's matcha. What makes it unique is that it is 100% organic and it's organic ceremonial grade matcha. It's also made with high quality ingredients in small family farms in Uji and Kagoshima, Japan. Plus, it's got such a rich and creamy and smooth taste that I love. So right now, my followers are getting 15% off with code AMBER15. So head to symbiotica.com and use AMBER15. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use AMBER15. Welcome to the Wellness Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Shaw, a board-certified health and wellness coach, personal trainer, and mind and body transformation expert for women over 40. I empower women to stop dieting, lose the weight for good, and create a life they love. As a recovered cereal dieter and single mom of two who radically transformed her life at the age of 40, I'll be sharing tips and strategies to end the vicious cycle of dieting and find true food freedom while learning to love what you see in the mirror. Together, we will talk nutrition, fitness, mindset, relationships, personal growth, lifestyle, and basically all things life after 40. You with me, mama? Let's go. Hey, hey, mama. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Wellness Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Shaw. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you today. And today I am sitting down with Nick Carrier. He's a master fitness expert on goal achievement and habit formation. And he's coached over 5,000 fitness classes, helping people all across the globe lose body fat and build muscle. As a certified personal trainer, corrective exercise specialist, and fitness nutrition specialist, and seven years of coaching at Orange Theory Fitness and Echelon Fitness, he's widely regarded as the transformation expert by working with professionals with busy lives. And I got to tell you from my own personal experience with meeting and talking with Nick, he is just one hell of a motivational coach and speaker. And he's just incredible. His energy is amazing. And so if you are somebody who uh, really is lacking motivation or needing uh, some just some extra encouragement on how to achieve your goals and how to really form some lasting habits that are going to serve you in your life, then you don't want to miss this full episode. So I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my new friend, Nick. Hey, Nick. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. What's up, Amber? I'm super excited to be here as well. Well, I was super excited because we, you know, I had the pleasure of being on your show not that long ago. And it's always fun to be able to, you know, not only like network with other like coaches and and people in your space, but when you really are aligned with kind of the messaging and and what your passions are and how you teach, especially in the health and wellness world, um, that's always a fun conversation. I mean, it can be a fun conversation when you don't agree with the person, but... No, the energy is just higher and you're like, yes, I know, I know. And it's it's great. Yes, it's like air fives, all of that. And so I know I'm already... Uh, I'm already just warning the listeners that that there's going to be a lot of air fiving going on because I follow you on social media. And one of the things that I love about you 
is you're just super freaking motivating. Like your energy is so high. Uh, you're clearly very passionate about what you do. And, um, and I love that. So I would love for you just to start sharing, you know, sharing with the listeners kind of how you uh, got, you know, to doing the work you're doing today. Yeah. So I, first off, again, appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited to be here. So it all kind of goes back to when I was in high school, I played sports in high school and I had a personal trainer to help me be as good of a football and baseball player as I possibly could be. And I was always pretty good. I was pretty strong, but never the strongest, pretty fast, but never the fastest. And, um, I didn't go play in college or anything. So when I went to college, though, I was studying finance and insurance. And then in between my sophomore year and my junior year, when I was back home in Atlanta for summer, I was working out at the gym that I trained at in high school. And I my personal trainer was still working there and I had a good relationship with him. And in the middle of the workout, he came up to me and he said, uh, have you ever thought about being a personal trainer before? And I was like, no, what, like not really, but what do you mean? And then he was like, well, talk to me after your workout and I'll show you how you can get certified and everything like that. And I was like, okay. So went and talked to him. He showed me and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just get certified this summer, see what happens. So got certified over the summer in between my sophomore year and my junior year. And then my junior year, I went back to college and I kind of just mediocre effort. I kind of like attempted to try to get a personal training job at like the school gym and some big box gyms and, and didn't really hear anything back. And I was like, ah, whatever, not that big a deal. But then one day I saw an orange tent in a parking lot that said Orange Theory Fitness on it, and I had no idea what it was. And I was like, one day I'll probably just drive by it and ask them. And so I drove by one day, talked to the owner of it. They hadn't even opened yet. They were just doing pre-sales. Talked to the owner. We hit it off, and I ended up trying a class, and I was like, I want to try to do this thing. And tried out to become a coach and became a coach, and that was uh, seven years ago now and then so that's kind of like step one in the story and so I coached at Orange Theory my junior and my senior year of college and meanwhile I was still studying finance and insurance and my thought process was after school I'm going to get a job in finance and insurance since that's what I studied make my degree worth my, worth the while and so I had a job lined up to be a mortgage lending officer however I kind of always knew I wanted to do something with fitness long term I just knew that I wasn't going to be an Orange Theory coach the rest of my life. So I would just kind of figure out what long-term looks like later on. And so anyways, I accepted that job. But then before the job started, I was planning on working in Atlanta for a couple of months with that job doing training and then moved to Nashville after the training portion of it. And that was really the selling point to me. I wanted to move to Nashville really badly. I didn't really just really want to be a mortgage lending officer. I wanted to move to Nashville. And so they told me that the Nashville part of it was no longer a part of it, but I could still work for them in Atlanta. And so I told them no, moved to Nashville without a job, got a job really quickly. It was like a desk job, lasted two weeks for me. And I was just like, had this thought process running through my mind repeatedly. Wait, why am I doing this nine hours a day when I could be figuring out what I want to be doing long term nine hours a day? So it was really the switch in the mindset of I don't need to know what long-term looks like now to begin to work on it. And so I left that job after two weeks and kind of ever since I've been in the fitness industry and started Best You a little while later. And so yeah, I'll kind of cap it there. No, I love that. And what I'm jotting down is what you said. And, and because what you said about like, I don't need to know that realization, that mindset shift of like, I don't need to know now like what's going on, like I will figure it out. What would you say, though, to somebody who's like over 40 with that? Like, because somebody listening could be like, yeah, okay, like, that's great, Nick, because you were like 21. So of course, you can think like that, right? But what what would you say to somebody who because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of listeners who are at this stage in their life where it's like, I think when you get to be in your 40s, and maybe even your 50s, it's like, oh, shit, like, you, there's some big pivot changes, because you're like, what do I want my next 40, you know, 40, 50 years to look like, but it can be very paralyzing um, because we've sort of lost that ability to have that belief that I don't need to know exactly what it looks like right now. I can figure it out. So what would you say to that? Yeah, that's an, it's an awesome question. I'm going to start like big picture, but then it's obviously a very contextual type question as well. Big picture is obviously when you're younger, you can be more subject to taking on risk in different areas of your life than maybe when you're older, both like career, financially, relationally, 
things of that nature. And so you need to be a little bit more deliberate with taking on risky steps, I feel like, as you get older. Now, with that being said, it all depends on the context with which you're living. So if you're 40 years old and you have a bunch of kids, let's say, and you have a lot of expenses, you got a mortgage payment, you're having to pay for your kids going to college, then it can depend on how much money you have saved up and the level of reliability that you have with that security, with taking care of the rest of your family. You don't want to take a huge, huge, huge leap of faith if you have no idea how much you're, how much money you're going to be able to make if you take a step and you still have all these people to take care of. So you need to make sure you're responsible and you're thoughtful when doing something like that. And so, but I would also say that if you are taking a risk and it's a financial risk, maybe start off small in the sense that you at least maybe start like with a side hustle and can, and keep your main job and start and kind of inch into it. I think it's sexy to say like, quit your job, go do something else, <laughs> right. all this kind of stuff. And I think that's just the sexy thing that a lot of people like to say, but I'm not sure how practical that is for a lot of people. I think you can inch your way into it. You know, we were just talking how this is the very first week that I am working solely for myself. Over the past seven years, I've worked for Orange Theory and I've worked for four or five, six different companies doing teaching fitness classes and doing personal training and I've run Best You for five years, and I've kind of inched my way into this point where I feel secure in only working for myself. And so I would say it's very contextual on where you're at with your career, with your finances. And then I think the last thing that I'll say that is very personal to you and your personality is everybody has a certain level of tolerance for risk or a certain level of tolerance for uncertainty. And for me, I think I have a higher tolerance for uncertainty when it comes to making money than a lot of other people do. A lot of other people, if they don't know where that next paycheck is coming and they don't know how much money they're going to be making, then they might just go super stressed out. For me, I feel like I'm a little bit more used to it and I'm not as super crazy money motivated, but I'm also confident in myself that I'll figure it out. And so everybody's personality is a little bit different. Everybody's financial state, career state, relationships around them is a little bit different. So I hope that is somewhat helpful. I know that was kind of all over the place, but. No, it definitely was. And I mean, I absolutely agree. You know, I think you and I are very similar. One of the things that really served me, and it's funny, our, our stories are a little bit parallel. Like I got my first job at an LA fitness in a pre-sale. I wasn't, I wasn't coaching. I was actually doing no. sales. But it's because I was so in love with the health and fitness industry, and I wanted to do something in that realm. And I was convinced I was going to do pharmaceutical sales. So there's that whole story. But I think that um, what that did for me at an early age was I've always been, even in my sales career that I had for 18 years, I was 100% commission-based. And so I always, and so I always just, I created this belief that I just, I, I didn't have to know, like I was comp where the money was going to come from. I just always knew it would come. Like I was always confident in that. Now I know every, there's a lot of listeners, you know, that are listening to this and are like, okay, well, that's not me. And so I think what, what helped me too, and what, what can help, um, if you're not that, you know, uh, comfortable with taking big risks, it's exactly what you said is like inching into it. Right. But, but not letting the fear paralyze you from not doing anything, Mm -hmm. right? Like inch into it, even if it's like you just take one small step towards whatever it is, like a side hustle or, you know, or just towards where you're trying to go with that. And then I think the second part of that, though, is really being aware and allowing yourself to like celebrate the small wins along the way. And the mm -hmm. reason I know for me why that was so important is because if you do start a side hustle, uh, you know, and you you may or may not agree with this, but I think that if you do start a side hustle, uh, you know, you definitely have, there will come a point where you've got to like, if you want to really grow and what you're and like, make it your thing, you've got to like, just let go of the other thing, even though it's super scary. And so by celebrating the wins along the way, it's almost like creating the confidence for you. But it's, I still think at the end of the day, it's still always going to be a little bit of a leap of faith. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm glad that you said it again. It, it needs to be reiterated that no matter what, you have to take step one without knowing what step 50 is. You're never going to know what step 50 is until you take step one. I use the analogy that if you're in a dark basement 
and you can't even see the stairs, people are super hesitant to take that first step. But you have to reach for that first step to be able to take the second one. And so yes. so we, so many of us procrastinate on taking step one because we're trying to figure out, is that the right step? Is that the perfect step? Is that the right next goal? You're not going to know unless you go. Right. And I, and I think that like, and I think what can also, and I see this and I'm sure you do too, like, and when, you know, cause you coach a lot of people in the, obviously in the, the health and wellness space, it's, you know, a lot of times what's what prevents us from taking that first step is that fear of failure, right? So how do you yeah. coach your clients through being able, like encouraging them to take that first failure or that first failure? <laughs> Maybe that is the first failure, but that first step um, with, uh, with releasing that fear of failure. Yeah, I think when it comes to health and fitness and the fear of failure, I would say a couple of things. One of the things that I really preach in our 10-week transformation program is everybody sets a goal that they want to achieve by the end of the 10 weeks, and then we set weekly goals, and I really communicate to them that I am going to do everything in my power to get you to your goal. However, that end goal, the end metric of weight loss, muscle gain, lifting X amount of weight... That is not what defines success in this program. What defines success in this program is you becoming the person who follows through with the promises that you make to yourself. You tell yourself you're going to go work out four times a week and then you do it. You tell yourself you're going to not eat a cookie after dinner and not doing it. You tell yourself that you're going to drink 80 ounces of water five times a week and then actually doing it. So drop the notion that success is that external result and gain the notion that success is becoming a person of integrity, becoming a person of alignment, of becoming a person who says they're going to do something and actually doing it and following through and letting that build you up and letting that be the definition of success. There, Then it's like, if you do it, that's success. And if you don't get the result because of that, it's not necessarily a failure. It's just, I still succeeded. Maybe I just need to tweak my strategy a little bit. And then the, the next thing I say with regards to that, like no matter what, people are gonna, if success is following through with the promises that you make to yourself, inevitably people are not going to follow through with promises that they make to themselves. And so that if that is failure, what I always say is people who are successful aren't perfect all the time, but they self-correct quickly. When they have a bad dinner, then the next day they work out in the morning and they have a really good breakfast. The problem that so many of us have is on Wednesday night, we have a bad dinner and we're like, well, this week's in the bag. Like, I'll have to wait till next Monday. It's like, no, we, we sometimes let the time that our culture has created force us to only start over with those times. So like, oh, we'll wait till next week. We'll wait till next month. We'll wait till next year. It's like, no, you can wait. You can get it going the next hour. So a couple things. One, to find success is following through, not the external result. Yes. And then two, when you do inevitably not follow through, self-correct quickly. Oh my God. Like this is where the R5s are coming in. Okay. Because <laughs> yes, I mean, this is so much about what I teach also in sustainable weight loss, right? Is that it's it's more about focusing on the process than it is the outcome. Cause when you can focus on the process, then the, the outcome will just be the byproduct. And and then and then the process is what makes it the lifestyle, right? Like I think mm. so much of the problem with people at like with the diet culture today is that we focus so much on just the nutrition and just the exercise, but we do nothing. And it's like somebody else's meal plan, somebody else's exercise program. And so we just, then that relies, that forces us to rely on willpower and that forces us to rely on following somebody else's program. But we're really, so then when, when it's done, when the program's done, it's so easy to go right back to what we were doing because we didn't really do anything to change our process, to change our habits. And I know, you know, because you are, uh, you know, a master in habit formation, can you talk a little bit about that and why it's so important to, to, to you know, to focus on, on the habits? Yeah, so for sure, I'm going to kind of touch on you, what you just said and, and then lead into the habit part. So it's so important to focus on the process and not the outcome, because what I've found is that our self-identity, how you view yourself, is one of the strongest motivators in the human personality. Like we are going to fall and live in alignment with how we view ourselves. If we view ourselves as somebody who's just always been overweight, then you're going to continue to act as somebody who's always been 
overweight. And so if self-identity is a big motivator in how we're taking action, then we have to try to change our self-identity. And our identity is not formed through our outcomes. Our identity is formed through the process. Our identity is only transformed by what we see ourselves repeatedly doing. And therefore, we need to be able to repeatedly do things. And so if when it comes to habits or goals, if people set really lofty goals or really lofty habits, then they might do them for a little bit, but then they fall off. And when you fall off quickly, you haven't repeatedly done anything to change your identity. And so when it comes to weekly goals and habits that I have people create, I always have them be two different things. The weekly goals need to be predictive and workable. Predictive meaning that I believe if I do this, I'm going to get the result I want. I believe that if I work out these X number of times, I'm going to lose the weight. I believe that if I eat these number of healthy meals, I'm going to lose the weight or whatever your goal is. You really need to believe that if I do this, then I'm going to get that or else you won't do it. Mm -hmm. So predictive and then workable. And workable is where most people don't, most people don't apply the principle of workable frequently enough. So how I define workable is it's a thing or an amount that you're willing and able to do based off of what you've been willing and able to do in the past. So if somebody is starting with me and and training with me and they're setting a weekly workout goal and they say, I want to work out six times for an hour. I'm like, awesome, great. So like, tell me about the last few months. Like, where have you been? And they're like, well, I kind of even stepped foot in the gym in the last few months. I'm like, okay, well, let's back off a little bit. I don't think it's going to be six times. How about two times or how about three times? And getting a feel for where that balance is with regards to predictive, we still think it's going to make them progress, but we think it's a realistic expectation of what they're willing and able to do. So at the beginning of the year, when a lot of people are motivated or just at any time when people get motivated, they place unrealistic expectations on themselves of what they're willing and able to follow through with. And so when you're trying to form habits, we want to make sure that we apply both of those principles of predictive and workable. I believe it's it's going to predict the outcome, but it's also an amount that I'm willing and able to do based off of what I've been willing and able to do in the past. Oh, I love those so much. I mean, absolutely. And you know, I one of the ones that I like to add in too is also making it like measurable because I think that, you know, one of the problems I in fact I just had this conversation yesterday with a client where she was like, "Yeah, you know, the last, you know, I I fell off the wagon, the holidays, blah blah blah." So we were setting goals and she's like, my goal this week is to eat better. I'm like, okay, like that's great. But that like that part of getting, you know, momentum and, you know, with, with what I find is when coaching is part of getting that momentum is actually just being super specific, you know, being able to make these specific and measurable goals so that you can get, you know, get the gold star, get the check mark, because when you show up for yourself, that's where the confidence comes from. And that's what continues to propel you forward. And so we broke it down into, okay, like, I love that you want to eat better, But like, what does that mean? Well, you know, how can we make that specific? And she ended up breaking it down to, okay, I'm going to get 100 grams of protein in for the, you know, four days this week. And I'm going to get greens in, you know, three, you know, at three meals, you know, whatever, X amount of days. And so, and, but being able to make that more specific just allowed her, I think, to, and will allow to, um, be able to get a little confidence, get a little momentum, right? Yeah. Oh, so, so good. So a a few things on that. Yeah, that's what what we do as well. And you can, if you're listening right now, think about two different people who use those two different things. Person A says, I'm going to eat better this week. Person B says, I'm going to get 100 grams of protein four times this week. I'm going to make sure I get greens at three meals at this number of days this week. Who's going to eat better that week? All of you guys know the person who was more specific Because it provides you with the guidance. It provides you with step number one. And so you actually know where you're taking action. You actually know when you're sitting down what action it is that you're going to be taking. Now, the other thing with that, that oftentimes scares people, why I think a lot of people don't set those metrics, is because when you define success, you are inevitably also defining failure. So if you define success as I'm going to have 100 grams of protein four times a week, then you're like, crap, if I'm tracking that and I don't hit it, I'm a failure. And and you see that as I've come up short and oftentimes people let that be a hit in confidence. And so one of the things that is so, so key that I try to bang into people's heads is when you go to hold yourself accountable, 
approach yourself with curiosity rather than criticism. Mm. So when you go to see whether or not you had the 100 grams of protein the four times a week and you fell a little bit short, don't beat yourself up and be like, Amber, you suck. You can't do anything. You can never follow through. You're not a disciplined person. Be like, okay, what happened here? Mm. Why didn't I have this? Did Mm. I not prepare well enough? Did I not go to the grocery store on the right day? Did Mm. I not meal prep? What happened here? And that's great for two things. One, you're not being critical of yourself and damaging the relationship you have with yourself. And two, it actually allows you to solve the problem and execute on it on a higher level moving forward. So it's absolutely critical that you do get specific and don't let the specificity scare you because it defines failure. And then when you do inevitably fall short, approach yourself with curiosity rather than criticism. Oh my God, that's so freaking huge. Absolutely. And and because one of the things that I find too is, and and you know what I tell clients is, is okay, like let's start with the goal. Let's say, okay, my goal is I want to get to the gym at 5 a.m. or I want to get to the gym at 5 a.m. three times this week. Well, if you start to notice, you know, just like you said, to kind of piggyback off that, that that's not happening, you know, it's it's important, like you said, to get curious and not be judgmental and really figure out, okay, why is that not happening? And like back it up. So then now maybe you're like, okay, well, actually it's not happening because I'm on my phone till 11 o'clock at night and I'm too tired in the morning. So, you know, I like to tell clients, okay, so you know what? Let's kind of like put the goal of getting to the gym at 5 a.m. to aside for a second. Let's back it up and focus on getting into a better nighttime routine. Let's make that your goal because unless you correct that, you're never going to, you can maybe get to the gym at 5 a.m. for a little while because you're relying on willpower to get you there. But you're like you said, you're not doing anything to solve the problem, which is why you keep fighting yourself, which is why you keep setting these goals and failing. Man, you're speaking my language right now. So like we, with everybody who I coach, we create those weekly goals, right? Let's say, let's say it's go to the gym the five times, like you just said, and we go the next level under that, and what I call them is planning your pills. So P-I-L-S is not the pill that you pop in your mouth. It's an acronym that stands for the purpose of them is to increase the likelihood that you succeed. And so they're micro habits, like you just said. If you realize you're not executing on the working out five times a week, ask yourself why. And then if you feel like it's because you don't have a good nighttime routine, then set the the micro habit or the, the daily goal, and I'm going to get to bed by 10 p.m. on the nights before that I work out. I'll never forget. I had a client who was missing her morning workouts as well. And so I was curious with her and we backed it up to where she was having coffee past 3 p.m. And so she couldn't fall asleep and therefore it was affecting her waking up for her morning workouts. And I was like, all right, well, let's just set the goal of not have coffee past noon or whatever it was and, and do that. And it allows people so much like, oh, I actually do have control over my execution on the difficult things that I'm telling myself to do. And then the last thing with that is I always have this imaginary gap between our ability to tell ourselves to do something and then actually follow through with it. And I think that gap is closed by two things. It's a combination of willpower and setting yourself up for success. And so what happens? Oftentimes our willpower is really high, right? Sometimes we're just on it and we're like, I'm going to get up no matter what's going on. And so sometimes solely willpower can carry us from telling ourselves to do it to actually doing it. But we all know that there are times when our willpower is not that strong, when we've had a long day, when we are tired, when all crap is hitting the fan in other areas of our life. So we can't rely on willpower during those times. We have to set ourselves up for success by doing the small things, like committing to going to bed at a particular time, to setting a phone reminder to drink your water, to making sure that you do prepare protein or whatever it is on Sundays so that on Wednesday night when you're really tired, it's already prepared and you can just pull it out of the fridge or the freezer and heat it up. It's doing the small things that set you up for success that allows us not to have to rely on willpower when all the other life things are going on. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things for me too, and and I this is something I do for myself as well, is also not not always relying on our feelings in the moment to 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 take action, right? There's a lot of days where I wake up and I'm like, this is one of the, and I say to myself, this is one of those days where I am not I am not listening to my feelings. Like I just need to do the thing. I'm just going to do the thing. And and I'll, and because I am assuming the identity of the person that I want to be in the future and and I think 
that that can be, you know, key as well as just consistently asking yourself in those moments where you don't feel like doing it, you know, what would my future self do? Yeah, no, I'm, that's something that I talk about a decent amount about as well. You know, the word self-care is very popular right now. And so I've thought a lot about what does self-care actually mean? And so the thing about self-care and the thing about self is you're obviously you now, but you're also the you that you're going to be in an hour. You're the you that you're going to be in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. And so to me, what self-care means is caring for the community of those selves. Is thinking what's good for me now, but also what's good for me in a year. And so to me, that's how I oftentimes get over the emotions of, oh, I'm tired. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. This, this isn't good. Like, how can I make the future version of myself proud? I really think that a huge component in leadership of others and leadership of yourself is trying to find that right balance of which self is most important to take care of right now. Do I really need to be caring for one year down the road, Nick, five year down the road, Nick, or do I actually need to sit and rest and take care of today's Nick? And so keeping in mind our community of selves, both our current self and our future self is really important in overcoming some of those negative feelings or emotions, I feel like. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I love that. So I'm just curious, you know, how do you coach the client who, because, you know, I, I I get, you know, this, this can be a struggle with a lot of women that I coach, which is like, I, you know, I'm coming, you know, I show they're showing up every week, they're setting the goals. And they're just not doing it. They're just not doing it. They've maybe paid for the program, they're showing up and they're just, it's like, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. How do you coach your clients through that? Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. It is it's a frustrating thing frustrating. to <laughs> want to want change for somebody yeah. else more than they want it themselves. Yes. And I think that's really what it comes down to is oftentimes people I think people decide that they're gonna make a change without thinking too much about it. And I don't think they have a deep enough why. And so one of the first things that I always start with everybody in the goal setting process is really defining what their why is. And I really try to go deeply with that question because I know that when I first heard Simon Sinek's, the Ted talk, find your why and, or or what's your why. And I was like, that's soft talk. Well, you can, I don't just tell me what to do and I'm going to go do it. Like what, don't tell me what my why is. And then as I've both gotten older and coach more and more people, I've realized, no, this thing is actually super important if it's approached correctly. So when I have people define their whys and when I define my own whys for my goals, it always has three components. Number one, it's what do you want to avoid? Mm -hmm. Number two, it's who do you want to become or what do you want to achieve? And then three, it's who are you doing it for? Mm -hmm. And so the first two, what are you looking to avoid and who are you wanting to become? I think like philosophically, whether you're religious or not, like that's the role of hell and heaven. That dichotomy of I'm going to stay the hell away from this place and I really want to become, want to get closer to go to this place, that influences our decision making on a daily basis, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. That thing, that tiger that we're running away from that we want to avoid and then that North Star that we're working towards is really important in getting us to move forward. So like I have a fitness goal this year and Part of my why is I feel like I'm leaving some of my potential on the table and I don't want to get a couple of years down the road and feel like I did not take advantage to really push myself during a prime age of my life to see what I'm able to do. So that's what I want to avoid. I want to avoid that regret of not really seeing what my potential is. And then what do I want to work towards? I want to work towards that person who can max out their potential, who is really pushing the edge of what is possible. And then that last part is who are you doing it for? You know, anytime you're having a goal, you're obviously doing it for yourself. However, keep in mind, there's going to be so many other people in your life who are positively impacted by your improvement. And so identify who are those other people that are actually going to be positively impacted by your improvement with your health, your friends, your family, your kids, your coworkers, your peers, all those people around you. And those are the people when you keep them at top of mind, when you're not motivated, when you are tired, sometimes just remembering how you can make a positive impact on others and get outside of yourself, that's what gets you to follow through. So like my last part of my why with my fitness goal is I want to, I don't want to regret not really challenging myself and leaving potential on the table. I really want to see if I can be the person who really stretches their level of capability. 
so that I can educate and inspire others on how to do the same. And so I'm keeping in mind the clients, the people around me, the people watching me attack my goals. I want to make sure that I can show them the way and show them what it looks like when you can follow through, when you can hit your goals and and how much it builds me up and how much it'll build you up as well. I love that. I love the so that, right? I love that, 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 so that, to give it a little meaning. And, you know, I know I've found that one of the questions too, that really resonates with a lot of, uh, you know, obviously I'm coaching women in 40, 50 and beyond is because we do start to think about more stuff like this, but I like to ask the question, what's it costing you to not Mm. make the change? What is this costing you? And that is a, that is a question that really causes a lot of people to just pause for a minute because now all of a sudden you go beyond the, oh, well, I can't fit into the dress or, oh, I can't, you know, it's like, wow. And what comes up, I know for a lot of women is, wow, it is, it's costing me relationships because I don't want to be intimate with my partner um, because I'm embarrassed to take my shirt off. Mm. Um, it's costing me a relationship with, uh, you know, my my daughter or my daughter's future well-being because all she ever sees is me picking apart and hating my body and being so critical of myself. And so I think, you know, I love that question of like, what do you want to avoid, right? Yeah. And then yeah. also, yeah, what's it what's it costing you to not make the change? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I coach a lot of, women over 40 as well. And two specific examples. One one example is with a lady who came, who came into my program pretty overweight. And a big part of her why was realizing that her son, who is early 20s, loves hiking. And she wasn't able to go on hikes with him because she just wasn't physically able to do it. Or if she did it, she was only being able to last like a mile. And so a lot of her why was, I don't want to miss being able to go on hikes with my son because oftentimes parents want to spend time with their kids, but oftentimes they need to spend time with their kid in order to do it. They need to do things that their kids really like to do. And so she needed the ability to not miss out on hikes with her kids. And, and same thing that you said, um, being a positive role model for your kids. I have so many mothers that I coach who talk about how their mother's maybe relationship with their body and with food was very poor and they felt like it affected mm-hmm. them. And I don't want that to be my daughter's relationship with their body and with their food and and keeping that top of mind is what's like realizes that what you're doing is so important and it has so much more to do with other people as well and not just yourself yeah yeah for sure we know i was on your instagram um the other day and you had done a post about going from insecure to confident and I want you to talk a little bit about that post and what you were talking about there, because you, I, I would say in the, you know, with the women that I coach, and you may find this with, with men as well, you know, I only coach women, but I know that confidence is the number one thing that women, uh, at least over 40, struggle with. And so let's talk about how to go from insecure to confident. Yeah, I think there's a number of things here. The first one is kind of one of the things that I've already touched on is let confidence come from following through with the promises that you make to yourself, not on the external results. And that kind of leads me into that. The second thing of oftentimes we're just comparing the external results with the external results of others. And so that shoots down our confidence because I think oftentimes we we can feel confident, but then if we compare it to somebody else, then that shoots us down. And so To me, I'm going to kind of actually go the direction of comparison because I think that overall you want to compare your current self versus your past self more than anything. However, I actually think that people telling others to avoid comparison, I'm not sure that's necessarily the right message because social media is always going to be around. Mm -hmm. It's only going to get worse. Other people's lives are only going to get more and more visible to us. And so, sure, a social media detox of not seeing anything for a month might be good and you might feel good in the moment. But then, if you download Instagram or Facebook and you start seeing everybody's stuff the next month, you're going to go right back to comparing yourself and, and, and l- lacking confidence in yourself. And so, I think that we need to adapt our relationship with comparison. Mm-hmm. To me, having a relationship with comparison is just like having a relationship with anything else. If you completely avoid it, it's not going to get better but you need to address it. And so if we can look at other people and first realize that their story is different than ours, for example, if somebody's comparing their ability to run or lift 
to me, I'm like, yo, this is what I do for a living. Like I couldn't do what you're doing. And so I'm not going to compare myself to your professional career. So don't compare your performance to my level of expertise. So one, like realize your story is different and your definition of success should definitely be different. And then you also want to make sure that when you compare it, like let it, let it inspire you rather than knock you down. Mm. If you can see somebody else and, and realize that like that is a gap that you can still close, realize that, yeah, maybe you're not there yet, but you can still, you can still get closer. You can still improve. And so to me, those are a couple of the biggest things with regards to comparison, because I think there's a lot of reasons why maybe we don't have confidence, but I think one of the biggest ones is comparison. So to me, it's overall compare your current self versus your past self more than anything, but it's almost impossible to avoid comparison altogether. So let's try to flip our relationship with it by one, letting it inspire us rather than knock us down. And then two, realize that that person's definition of success and their story is a whole lot different than mine. And so our past don't need to be the exact same. Yeah, I love that. And you know, one of the, you know, what this, what came up for me is what you described about really heading uh, the the comp or the comparison thing head on. To me, it's kind of like the, I talk about this with the nutrition too. It's sort of like the difference between like lifestyle 1.0 and lifestyle 2.0, right? Like lifestyle 1.0 is well, I'm just gonna avoid. I'm, I'm not gonna buy cookies. I'm not gonna buy chips because if I buy them, then I'll eat the whole bag. So they're just not allowed in my house. Mm-hmm. Well, that to me, that to me is lifestyle 1.0 because eventually that willpower is going to that's going to give out. You're going to end up being at the party in the whole bag of chips and then hating yourself starting over on Monday. And now here we go. Right. I want you to get to lifestyle two point where you actually like hit that head on. I want you to be able to have a few chips, feel satisfied. And there's a whole process behind that, but like feel satisfied with it. And, and so you can, you know, be at that level where you're not just relying on your willpower. So there's, there's that piece of it. And then I think the other part that I think it's important when we're having the conversation about comparison, especially when it comes to social media is really just always remembering that every thing you see on social media is really just the highlight reels. Right. Like even I can, you know, I think we can all say as social media people, we all put our best shit up there. Like, right. Like we just, that that's, we all do. We put our best, that's what we do. And I think that, um, there's just a way to be, and it's important that it's, it's, and it's not that it's not fake or authentic. It's, it's not right. authentic and it's fake. It's not that, but I do think that, you know, it's just important to remember that they are the highlight reels for everybody. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's so good. Right. I think because I, I, for example, posted a reel of like 2022 things, pictures, short videos, and, and like the people in the pictures is what I was acknowledging. And of course, those were my best moments of the year. And I, I think that it's not necessarily wrong for people to just post the highlights depending on what it is. I think that one, people who are posting highlights, you can communicate that you're posting highlights to a certain extent. But then also, again, everybody else just needs to have that realization. And then I loved what you said about Lifestyle 1.0 and 2.0, because I experience that all the time, but I've never thought about it as like a stepping stone from going from like, let's not even have it in the house. So I'm not even tempted by it to the point of the temptation's not going to rule me. And so I actually want to ask you a question, if that's okay, is like, yeah, what do you find allows people to make that transition between 1.0 to 2.0? Is it simply they need a certain amount of time? They need to change their mindset, Talk to me about that. I would love to hear. Yeah, no, I love this. So, you know, it, particularly when it comes to like, nu- if we're talking about nutrition, if we're if we're just talking about nutrition, is I think that it really it comes down to uh, and then that particular example of really addressing the problem beforehand, which is if the reason why you're eating the whole bag of chips, right? What well, what's the real reason you're eating it? At the end of the day. It's because you have been feeling like you're missing out, whether all week long, whether all month long, like you've, you're denying a craving, you're denying that satisfaction, like you're not feeling satisfied in, in the healthy eating that you're doing all throughout the week so that when you're presented with like that, that chip or that cookie or whatever, you feel like that's kind of like your only chance to get it in. So yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, it's changing the mindset of, Uh, And again, particularly with the example of nutrition, changing that mindset, kind of having a reframe of, I'm a grown ass woman. I could actually eat whatever I want, whenever I want, 
And when you kind of have that mindset, it allows you to kind of get out of that, that, that monkey mind. It allows you to get out of that, that mindset of this is only, you know, I'm not, I'm not allowed to have um, this particular thing. And so I just have to keep pushing down my cravings. This food's bad. This food is, you know, this food is, is wrong. If I had it, I'm bad if I eat it. And so when you can actually step away from that and like release the judgment and be like, food's food, okay? Like having that mindset shift, food's food, I can eat what I want. Then it just allows you to operate and it creates a space from a different point of view of, okay, now I can start asking questions of like, do I really want this? How is this going to make me feel? Is this going to help me to, you know, move the needle towards my goals? But when you're stuck in that monkey mind, when you're stuck in that kind of primal part of your mind of, you know, this, I can't have this, I can't have this. Well, anytime we're human, anytime anybody tells us that we can't have something, what do we want and what can we not think of, right? We can't Mm -hmm. stop thinking of, right? And so I think that particularly, when it comes to yeah nutrition, it's like shifting the mindset um, that will allow you to just operate from a different place. Does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, for sure. You know, it's funny. One of the things that almost another lifestyle 1.0 to 2.0 type example is if you always stop for fast food. Step number one: take a different route so you don't even see that fast food restaurant anymore. But then you get to a point where it doesn't even phase you. And so like one of the things that I have asked myself a lot about is when I drive by a McDonald's or any fast food, I'm I'm not tempted at all. I, I to me it's kind of like and the identity shift of I'm the type I'm just a type of person who doesn't eat that stuff. And so I'm not even phased by the temptation of going to a place like that because I feel like my identity is not doesn't does not align with the type of person who goes there. But, but so, and I'm, so I'm just curious is the, is the reason why the type, but, but let's take it a step further. So why aren't you the kind of person that doesn't go there? I think when, when we talk about identity and how you view yourself, I think it's, you form yourself identity largely with three things. One, what you see yourself repeatedly doing. Two, who you tell yourself you are. And three, who you tell others you are. And so for me, like to kind of how that example correlates to all three of those things, I haven't gone to one of those types of places in a really long time. Or if I have, it's very sporadic for a particular reason and I'm doing it intentionally. And so I've like repeatedly seen myself not go to those places. And so that's one thing that builds up my identity in that. The two thing is who, second thing is who you tell yourself you are. And I feel like, not that I sit here and actually have these words go through my head of, Nick, you're a healthy person. Nick, you prioritize nutrition. Nick, you prioritize your health. But I feel like to some extent, I do have those conversations consciously or subconsciously with myself. Is like, you are somebody who just really prioritizes what they put in their body. You are somebody who really prioritizes your health. And so I know that the type of person who prioritizes their health and what they put in their body, the action of going through a McDonald's drive-through doesn't align with that identity. And so it kind of goes back to what I said earlier is one of the strongest powers in the human motivation is to live in alignment with how you view yourself. And so if I view myself as somebody who prioritizes what they put in their body, then I'm not going to take an action that strays from that. And the third thing is who you tell your to who you tell others you are. If you tell others that like I've always just been this way, I've never been able to do this. I've always just gone to fast food. Like I've always been somebody who just needs a cookie after dinner. I've always been somebody who can't resist McDonald's when I see it. Then of course you're going to just continue to do that. But if you can start to change the narrative, both that you tell your talk to yourself with and that you talk to others, I think it can really change your identity, identity, which therefore changes your actions and your behaviors. Absolutely. And you know, what you said about the, that, what, what you said just now, though, which is really important, though, what I want the listeners to really understand is that if you notice, what you said is that I don't, it's not that you don't go to McDonald's because you didn't say, well, because McDonald's is bad, because that food is bad, because that's gross or whatever. You had that more rational, like, viewpoint of, I prioritize my health. 
I mm. eat healthy things. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with really letting go because a lot of women have a very poor relationship with food. And their go-to is not, I don't avoid, I avoid McDonald's not because I prioritize my health. It's I, I avoid McDonald's because it's bad. And like when you, there's, even though that's such a subtle change of language, it's a very powerful change of language because again, it's, and so kind of going back to your question of how moving from 1.0 to 2.0, I do think it, it it does start with those like little nuanced mindset shifts of just as easy as to say, I go to McDonald's because I prioritize my health. There is a massive difference between that and I go, I don't go to McDonald's because it's bad. There's like something on the subconscious level that there's a shift there. And that's what's really important to understand. Yeah, no, I think, and I think it was you that I had on my podcast who said this, and I I communicated it to a lot of my clients as well of like, especially with the relation, your kids' relationships and how to teach them how to have a good relationship with food is don't tell them that, like you said, food is not necessarily bad. Don't say avoid this because it's gonna, it's going to make you overweight. Say, we eat this because it's healthy and we're the type of people who prioritize our health. And I think, like you said, I think it's really a big difference with regards to your relationship. Talking about what you do do and why, not talking about what you don't do because of how terrible it is. Absolutely. Because again, on like the, the deep subconscious level, and it's just the way we work as humans. Again, you tell me something's bad. You tell me I can't have it. You can't yeah. tell me I can't do it. Well, that's just what I'm going to want to do. Yeah. Um, so I think shifting the narrative. So, oh my gosh, like Nick, seriously, I know we uh, we could sit and just chat for hours. I know that I knew I was going to be high-fiving you. I knew this was going to be high energy. I love it, love it, love it. So I know that the listeners are going to be wanting to just know more about you and find find you. So where's the best place to reach out? Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Uh, best place to find me, follow me is definitely Instagram at carrier underscore best you. Uh, my website is nickcarrier.com. And I've kind of mentioned the 10-week transformation a little bit as well. And you can find info on it there. But right now, I'm also allowing people for a limited time to hop on a free call with me, hop on like a free goal setting call and strategy call. So if you're interested in doing that, then you can go to nickcarrier.com slash free call because I just want people to set goals in the appropriate way and set those weekly goals in a manner that actually sets them up for success and doesn't place unrealistic expectations on themselves. And then they're aware of the things that we talked about today. What are those small things that you can do to set yourself up for success? Like don't have coffee past noon, don't or get to bed at a particular time so that you increase the likelihood of following through with your weekly goals and you don't damage your self-confidence. So again, if you want to hop on a, a weekly call or a free call with me, it's nickcarrier.com slash free call, but I appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you guys, you definitely want to hop over to the show notes and, and follow Nick, get in touch with Nick. Uh, he's just incredible and an incredible motivator. So Nick, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Amber, of course, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. And mama, thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in to the wellness revolution. I hope you're feeling more empowered and inspired from this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you consume podcasts and connect with me on social media. I'm Miss Amber Shaw. That's MS Amber Shaw across all platforms. And remember, you got this mama. Until next time.